0: Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we 'll study god 's word How are you good you 're better than me um, you know what it 's like when you like you know you did something but you don 't know what you did, and you 're like that hurts. Yeah, that's me. So uh, forgive me, I'm going to teach from a stool today, but uh, we're in this series called Chasing David. And in, thank you, Ben. uh, And in this series, uh, what we're talking about is how Jesus used an individual, despite strengths and weaknesses, for his purpose. And the Chasing David series is as much about who Jesus is as much as who David was. And he was positioned in a really unique spot at a really unique time, and as we look at him, we find ourselves in his story so often, from the moments of feeling like we're not good enough, to the moments of slaying our own giants, to the moments of being anointed and saying, you are worth it, to today, we're going to look at one of my favorite F words, forgiveness. It's my second favorite F word, and I'll tell you what my first favorite F word is, it's food, like it should be, and forgiveness is one of those moments that is not easy to talk about because it actually creates some really deep visceral responses in many of us, myself included. And forgiveness often has a root in just that, being wronged, being maligned, feeling like our values or our opinion or worldview was trampled on. And often we don't know what to do with it, and some people would like to call it justification, Some people would like to call it vindication. I just flat out call it revenge. Because when I am wronged and I have been put in a position that you have humiliated me, you have wronged me, you have trampled on me, I will see you soon. And in the 19 years of being a student and family pastor, I can tell you that the idea of revenge has come up a time or two with families. (laughs) It's also come up a time or two as a youth pastor because students are really good at thinking they know how to prank adults. And there's this really weird target that myself, Katie, and Johnny wear. For some reason, we become the target of pranks. Well, let me tell you about a prank and my own sweet revenge I got one time. We were at a student ministry event. I was off campus. And the crew of adult leaders, adult leaders, mind you, decided to cover half my truck in post-it notes, the other half the truck in Vaseline. When I say half, I literally mean 50% of the truck down the middle, hood, windshield, side, everything. And when I saw this at midnight when I returned from the student event and from 12.01 to 4.30 a.m. was spent cleaning this mess up, I spent four long hours wondering, how will I keep this student alive with getting him back? (laughs) I came off that and finally said, I will get you back this way. And I sat on it for about a year and a half. And right before he went to college class... I allowed his sister to help me because every good young sibling wants the older sibling to suffer at some point in time. Got the keys. Just opened the sunroof. That's all I need. I just need the sunroof open to fill a sedan with packing peanuts. And when I say fill, I literally mean fill and it was the best $300 I ever spent without permission from my wife. Here's the unique thing. In our uber individualized society at times where me and me only matters, we can quickly forget that we are part of a community. And in a communal understanding, if we do not get forgiveness right, we actually just enable the wrongs that non-forgiveness does. In a communal way, when we forget that we're part of a bigger society, a bigger community, a bigger picture... What happens is it's all about us and not about the bigger story. And one of the tensions of forgiveness is it does not come easy, but it has to be learned by practiced and modeled in every way. In fact, that's a phrase I would love for you to reiterate with me as you see it on the screen. Forgiveness is learned by practiced and modeled in every way. You try it. <laughs> Amazing. And since we're here on student Sunday and students are super participatory and they always love over talking the person up front talking, you get to do the same. Here's what I need you to do. Turn with the person you came. I need you to say just four simple words. Will you forgive me? Oh, that's not the hush. That's a really low hush here. Like, let's actually go ahead and participate. It's a lively morning. Will you forgive me? You can say it upbeat. You don't have to have it all drudgery. That sounds better. All right. That's a really easy example. Those four words are not always easy to say. This morning we're gonna be in 1 Samuel 25, and if you have a Pew Bible in front of you, it's page two ninety-three, would love for you to turn there. If you're following in the U Version Bible app, just go to First Samuel twenty-five. We're gonna go through about twenty-eight of these verses. And as you read this week with the Chasing David series, you're actually going to see an account that precedes this. It's David on the run from Saul in the wilderness. And those of you that are familiar with the account, you'll go, well, wait a minute. David did a good job there. He did. But as in, we, as again, we can see ourselves in the story. We don't always do things the right way. And today is an example where David almost had a big oops. So 1 Samuel 25 is where we'll be. Now, Samuel died. Honestly, that's a whole sermon in and of itself. The synopsis is this. Whenever you see in the Old Testament that the prophet of the Lord died, there's always a chasm between healthy leadership and an almost unhealthy leadership or healthy. It's a fulcrum. It goes both ways in the Old Testament. And when Samuel died, a significant voice for Israel, which was a partner with David, he was the same prophet that anointed David, is now gone. The people of Israel mourned him. They buried him in Ramah. And David moves. It's really significant. He moves to the desert of Paran. So pick it up with me in verse 2. There was a certain man in my own who property there in Carmel. Not like our down the coast Carmel. Very different region. Was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep. Which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal. And his wife's name was Abigail. She was intelligent and beautiful, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. Okay, let me give you some context. In this time when it was shearing sheep season, this was a moment. It was not a quick process, 3,000 sheep all done by hand. This was a festivity. The owner of all the sheep would feed, would would celebrate with a party. It was a week-on-week-on-end opportunity for that community, those shears, to participate. And finally, we can now weigh our profit. In doing so, it was a massive spread of food. Nabal, having this many sheep, was a person of great wealth and great status. David, verse 5. Sent ten young men to them. Go to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you in your household, and good health to all that is yours. Sounds like your Christmas card greeting, right? Now I hear that is is sheep-shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable to my men, since we have come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. That term, and your son, was just a term of respect. It wasn't a direct lineage. It was just a term of respect and endearment as David being in his lands. Now, you would think if Nabal had his sheep and his property protected by David, which was over 600 men, we'll see here in a second. You would think, out of the courtesy of his own prophet being there, that it would be easy for him to go, absolutely. Thank you so much for keeping me and my resources safe. I would like to honor you with this simple request of providing you some food. That's not how it goes. David's men arrived. They gave Nabal this message. And Nabal answered... Who is David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men from who knows where? It's hard to see, but this is very satirical. It's a huge amount of sarcasm. It's as if you came up to me and said, ah, the other day I was hanging with Pastor Gary and he bought me coffee and we're talking. It was just really cool. Just spent some time with him. I was like, Gary? Why would you spend time with Gary? He's a Raiders fan. <laughs> and he likes them. <laughs> and he's Italian. And, and if I just went on, it, it's the same weight. It's just speaking maliciousness to a human being. That's the weight in this. So David's men return. And this is where it gets really interesting. They tell David what happens. And in verse 13, David says to his men, each of you strap on your sword. Now, I don't know about you, but I love movies. And I think 1999, Russell Crowe and Gladiator in this moment, where David literally just goes, strap on your sword. (laughs) I may have practiced that one too many times this week. But I just see this. I see David going, no, 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 no. That's how you want to play? 400 of you with me, 200 of you stay back and protect. We're on a blood mission. This is a moment where something could happen. Now we're talking about forgiveness today, right? One of you still with me. Cool, we're in the same sermon. Okay, just to check. David's men turned around and went back. David says, strap on your swords. Verse 14. However, here's what's unique. One of Nabal's servants goes to Abigail. Now, what you don't understand is the amount of disrespect this is in this culture. This is behind your your master's back. But why Abigail? Someone whispered it over here. She's intelligent. She's smart. See, her character speaks out. And we're going to come back to this in a second. And in doing that, this servant says, David sent messengers from the wilderness He greeted our master well, but he just hurled insults back at them. These men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us the whole time we were out in the fields. Nothing was missing. Night and day, they were like a wall around us the whole time while we were herding our sheep. Now, please think it over and see what you can do. Because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He's a wicked man and no one can talk to him. Abigail acted quickly. She took all of this food, five hundred loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five says of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and two hundred cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on the donkeys and said, "Please go ahead, I will get to you." but she did not tell Nabal.' As she came riding her donkey into Mount Ravine, there was David and his men descending toward her. David had just said, It's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property and in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He's paying me back evil with good. May God deal with me, David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. David feels wrong. David wants vindication. David wants to prove a point. David wants to remind Nabal who's in charge. David is in a spot where he wants to act the way he wants to act. And in enters Abigail as a person of peace. Abigail saw David. Quickly, she got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. Context, is may be hard for us to understand. Why would a woman do that? And it was a sign of Respect. It was a sign of acknowledging, and you would see later in the text if we got to it, that Abigail acknowledges that David is the anointed soon-to-be king. Abigail acknowledges that David is the man who slayed Goliath to protect Israel from the Philistines. Abigail acknowledges that David is who the Lord has said he is. And in bowing down, she says, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what I have to say. She's asking for his attention. As a person of character, and David doesn't know Abigail. There's nothing in the text that says he's aware of her, he knows her, but she postures herself in such a way to be a person of peace, to speak into David. And she goes on to say, David, look, as long as you live, as long as the Lord is your God, may there be no bloodshed on this day, but when your enemies, may they all be like Nabal, may they all be fools full of folly. And verse 28, please forgive your servant's presumptions. What does David have to forgive Abigail for? Abigail is not asking for forgiveness of what Nabal has done. Abigail is not asking for forgiveness for anything that's around her. Abigail's asking forgiveness for interrupting David's plans. Abigail is asking for forgiveness to say, hey, all this food that I'm bringing, please forgive that act. Me stopping you from what you're doing, please forgive that. But please hear me out. It's really interesting that when we feel so wrong and so maligned, we get so internal with our own feelings and emotions that we play out so many stories in our heads of what should happen, what will happen, what might not happen, you need to say this, you need to go do this. They obviously did that with such malicious intention that we actually become really good at telling our own narrative. And we need people in our lives that are willing to come alongside us and go, whoa, 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 whoa wait, wait. What are you about to do? Why? What is this going to solve? If you act this way, what could be the consequence of it? David culturally was actually right in his feelings to address Nabal the way he was. Abigail was like, but there's a bigger story going on. And here's a tension when we talk about forgiveness. So often when we talk about forgiveness, there's this presumption that we have to become like cowards that we have to become this doormat for everybody else. Forgiveness is not cowering. Forgiveness is not becoming a doormat. Forgiveness is releasing the anger and bitterness and the inner turmoil in us so that we can actually live better. Forgiveness is learned by practice and modeled in every way. Can you say that phrase with me again? Lean in. I want to unpack something with you. You matter. You matter to us and you matter to Jesus and you matter to Jesus more often than, more than you often will ever let yourself acknowledge that. And in you mattering and you mattering to Jesus, I know, your parents know, the adults around you in your world know that you have some deep desires and feelings about how life should probably be. You have some deep wants of how you'd love to see life play out. And I'm going to tell you an honest truth that the adults in this room through some age would echo. What you believe should be true may not always be right. And how you want to act may not always be the right way. But I also know that as students with deep desires, you're watching a world around you and you're watching the adults around you act with a lot of ignorance at times with a lot of malicious behavior towards one another in public avenues. You're seeing a lot of adults in your world demean some of your values around how the conversation is happening politically. Conversations around sexuality. Conversations around environmentalism. And you're seeing adults can't even agree on this and you're actually wondering, and I'm gonna help say it out loud for you, is who's right then? And students, as a pastor, this is where I'm going to remind you of the heart that Katie, Johnny, and every volunteer that serves with you has for you. If you want to model your life after someone, model it after Jesus. Because he's the one person, God himself, who knows how to handle the deepest wrongs and can extend forgiveness. And he's also the one that has forgiven you. Because when you model your life after Jesus, you will live in a healthy way. Now, adults, your turn. Can I help remind you what the world of a 14-year-old is? Some of you, the question earlier was like, I had to dial back the clock on what I used to wear when I was 14. Mm -hmm. So let me help you understand their world. The average 14-year-old was born in 2005. So since June of 2007, all they've ever known is the iPhone. Their kindergarten year, 2011... Highest-grossing cartoon Cars 2. Since 2013, their second-grade year, and then 2015, their fourth-grade year. Katy Perry's song "Roar" and the halftime show, which still talked about, is one of the greatest displays. Uh, Performance is still talked about. They've actually ever known our government to have a person of color in the White House. In 2019, 32% of the U.S. population is Gen Z. 25% is millennials. of the U.S. population is under the age of 37. Hey, adults, how are we doing at modeling forgiveness to those that are coming after us? For those of us that call on Christ as Lord and Savior, how are we doing modeling what Christ has called us to? Is the terms, I'm sorry, will you forgive me, a narrative in your home that is being practiced and modeled in every way? One of the tensions I have Danny is when I have to go to someone and go I'm sorry, I was wrong. For example a couple weeks ago, one of our, I coached football up at Woodside High School. We almost beat Mills, we did. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, I was talking with one of the JV coaches and we were talking about just some of the standout players that have just really helped JV gel. And there was about a four, or five coaches, four or five players that were listed and that coach also highlighted my youngest son who's playing. And in echoing back to that coach, the highlights of some of those athletes, I did not echo even my own son, who he already had shared. And here's one singular reason I was afraid of nepotism. I was afraid in that moment of highlighting the same name that he already highlighted just because he's my son for fear of looking nepotistic. Driving home later in a conversation with my wife, there was this moment of going, You were wrong. So I went, stood beside his bedside that night and said, hey, bud, I think I owe you an apology. Dad was wrong. Here's why I did it. It's a bad reason. Will you forgive me? And he said, yeah. I said, are you, you know what I'm saying? He's like, yeah, I do know what you're saying. Yeah, it hurt. Parents, it's challenging when we are in that moment to go, how do we handle this? But if we handle it in a, humili- in a way of humility to say, hey, I was wrong and we need to ask for forgiveness, what are we actually modeling? We're modeling reality. What's really interesting is you don't have to be a parent to do this. You know the roommate that doesn't do the dishes for the last 15 times. What about the moment where you're late for an appointment because someone else you share life with didn't schedule it on the calendar the way they're supposed to because they, sh- they put it on their calendar, not the shared calendar, that you both lose use. So you lost out on an opportunity to be on time for something you weren't supposed to be on time for because there's other appointment you're supposed to be at. Not that that's my world ever <laughs> that I'm guilty of. See, forgiveness is a reality whether you're a single, roommate, a sibling, that one sibling who takes on the bathroom 10 minutes longer than they should for you to get ready. When we feel wrong, malign, no matter where we're at in life, no matter how our life stages, We've got to be willing to go, man, if I feel wrong, what do I do with this? David felt wrong. David wanted to act a certain way. The words of David are very clear. I don't want a single male connected to Nabal to be alive by tomorrow morning. David wanted to create that act. And Abigail was sent by the Lord to intervene. How do we know that? If you go down to verse 32. After this exchange between David and Abigail, of Abigail asking for David to hold off, he says this. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. I don't know the conviction that David felt in his being at that moment. I don't. I believe it was one of, oh, yeah, I'm going to hold off. Now, some of you have been going, and you're just now going to cue in because I'm going to say the word van seat. Because you've been staring at things going, why is that on stage? And in being Student Sunday, that seat represents youth ministry really well. That seat represents families really well. That seat represents you really well. And here's how. See, when students are in a seat like that coming to this campus on Sunday night to participate in Epic or House, they have some serious questions going on inside of them. They have this moment of going, Are my friends going to be there? Am I going to be welcomed? And am I going to fit in? When students ride in that seat to school tomorrow morning, to sports practice, to band recital, to drama rehearsal, they're going to be wondering, How will I perform? they're going to be wondering, how's my day going to go? They're going to be premeditating that interaction with someone that they don't get along with, whether it be a teacher or a peer. And they're going to be filled with a little bit of anxiety or anxiousness around it. They're going to have a moment to be reminded that I'm not always welcomed in my friend group because you know what? I may not be as tall. I may not be as smart. I may not be as fast. I may not be as well-dressed as others. So what does that do to my world? For you and I, when we drive to a place of work or just to fill the gas tank at Costco, there's thoughts that we have that we're wondering, hey, how is this going to play out? What is this going to look like? I don't know what the boss is going to do. I actually feel really tense every time I walk into the house. And the narrative can be anything that is happening in your world that you walked in here with today. But it's in that seat that when we take students to Mexico during spring break for the first time or the fifth time, and they're craving tacos de poblano, They're craving for that moment to be away from everything and just hear the voice of the Lord move. It's that seat that students go to summer camps and winter retreats. It's that seat that they honestly just ride to the beach for an afternoon with friends. It's a seat that often is accompanied with another adult leader that serves to go. I want you to remind you about this big picture of forgiveness, which starts and always ends with Jesus. See, there's 25 active leaders that serve in our middle school and high school ministry and they crush it. Because weekly, what they're saying to students is, you matter. You matter to Jesus. And I want to keep pointing you to him. I printed off some text messages that they've sent me and I just wanted to share them with you to give you a picture of what we're talking about a little bit more. Hey, thanks for the invite. I love going to House. Uh, house is our high school ministry. Honestly, I find it one of the most welcoming environments with the nicest people. Thanks for having me there. A couple of weeks ago, our student ministry sent out postcards to students that we had on our address roll. And it says this, Hey, Danny, Katie, and Johnny, I just got your postcard. I know I've been checked out lately. There's actually a lot going on in life between my hobby, my sport. I don't think I can make it this Sunday but I'm going to try to come back. Thanks for thinking of me with the postcard and reaching out. It meant a lot. This was sent last Sunday to a really specific leader. It says, it was really nice to talk to you tonight. For me, it's easy just to smile and tell everyone I'm fine. I'm actually having a hard time right now. Can you please pray for me? And adults, you go, well, wait a minute. I could be saying the same thing. Right, because forgiveness is not just about Student Sunday. Forgiveness is about the gospel. It's about the reality that Jesus, God himself, looked at humanity and said, I want to forgive you of the thing you cannot solve yourself, and that's sin, and the internal consequence of it. I want to invite you into a relationship with me as it should be. Because in this relationship with me, I want to remind you of what is best and worth going after. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But it means that your identity in who I am and who you are is already resolved. It means when you see injustices happening in the world, you can be a person of peace that enters that and can be in a posture of helping fix and solve brokenness in this world. But until you experience true forgiveness, can you really ever forgive someone else? And I would say no. I think until you've truly been forgiven, it's really hard to know what it's like to extend forgiveness to someone else. And that's why we want to point teens to Jesus weekly. It's why I would tell you today that as a pastor, I think the greatest thing you can ever do is say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Not for what I get from you, but because of who you are. God himself that has so much life to give. One of Jesus' disciples named John writes this in his Gospel of John. He says, The thief comes to seek and kill and destroy. And Jesus says, But I've come that you may have life and life to the full. I don't know about you, but when I experience life to the full, there's a lot of emotions, there's a lot of mental thoughts, there's a lot of solutions that just get solved. Because for me, forgiveness isn't just about standing by a son's bedside and trying to model it. Forgiveness is also something I had to experience because I went on a 26-year journey to learn how to forgive a biological dad that abandoned me. See, forgiveness is not just about, oops, sorry, I bumped into your shopping cart. Forgiveness is about those spots and that puts us in a posture of going, this could turn my world upside down. And it's not about being a doormat. It's about releasing tensions and emotions that could cause you undue pain. David needed a person of peace in their life to help them see life in a bigger way. And honestly, we as people get wrapped up in the immediate moment, and we just need another voice. So those of you that have had your phone out or following us on the U version, or if you've got something to write on, I want to give you a couple action steps from today. Because this is an easy so what message. Not really, you didn't miss that joke. This is also challenging for many of us. But tomorrow morning, school, work, for some of you tonight, shift work is gonna kick in. How do you practice and model this in every way? On your phone or on your notes, here's what I would love for you to do. Write down who do you need to forgive? And the name and face that just popped in your mind is the one I'm gonna tell you to go with. Who do you need to forgive? Or who do you need to ask forgiveness of? That's your first action step. Who do you need to forgive or who do you need to ask forgiveness of? Here's your second action step. How do you be an Abigail? How do you be a person of peace? Well, what do you mean? I'm gonna tell you. Teens, you know what it's like when your parents get off a business call or a call with a friend. And you know, like, that's not the time to ask mom and dad for an extra five bucks or the keys to go out. What if you just went up and gave them a hug in that moment? What does it look like, parents, when your son or daughter walks in the house and you can tell it's been one of those days? Is that the time to jump on them about the chores they forgot to do and the responsibilities they forgot? Or is it just time to go, how are you really doing? What does it look like in your place of employment when you know that one coworker that just breathes pain around them? What if you postured yourself as a person of peace in front of them and just did a random act of kindness? What if you texted them what they would like for a coffee instead of the rest of the office? What would it look like as an employer that handled your employees and you were a person of peace for them? See, I believe that we need multiple voices in our life because we live in a communal way, especially as followers of Christ, to just go, hey, can we talk about that? Hey, if you make that decision, where is that going to end you up? Are you sure that's the action you want to have? And that goes for all of us. Teens, you have the power to call out your parents, and if they don't let you, just quote me. Parents, roommates, siblings, spouses what does it look like for you to handle those in your world? How can you be a person of peace? I think families that model forgiveness are the ones that are able to point to Christ daily. You don't have to have all the answers. In fact, Jesus doesn't ask us to have all the answers. But he does ask us to obey him. And it is commanded that we would forgive one another. Team's going to come up. And in doing so, we're going to close. And in this response, I would ask that you would think about who do you need to forgive? Or who do you need to ask forgiveness of? For others of you, you may go, man, how do I be a person of peace? So I'd love for you to close your eyes. And I want to just create a pause moment. Let the Holy Spirit speak. Jesus, we thank you for today and the gift of life and the gift that you have given us. Jesus, we thank you that you have forgiven us way more than we can often comprehend. So Jesus, right now in this moment, I would just ask that you would give us a face, a voice, a nudge from you as to what's next. God, we may need you to set up the divine appointment. We may need ourselves to be mature enough like an Abigail to go to where we don't want to go because it's worth it so Jesus is in the stillness of this moment right now will you just speak thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church we would love the opportunity to connect with you more we are located in Redwood City, California and you can find us online at wearepcc.com you can also find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.